This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Hello to everyone listening in on the Lattice Training Podcast today. I have a guest who is on the show who is one of the best climbers in the world right now. He's red pointed three 9B pluses, seven 9Bs, and won multiple IFSC World Cups. Yes, it is the one and only Stefano Gasolfi. Hi, hi everyone. Welcome, Stefano. Before I get straight into the questions, and I've got lots and lots of them, I want to just say that this podcast is almost going to be like two halves. One where I want to chat to you all about performance. So rock climbing outside and then competition climbing um, and competing on plastic, etc. And then the other one, I just got to dive into training and all the stuff you do on training because you've I've seen it on your Instagram loads. And I think it's a really kind of interesting area to look at as well. Yeah, sure, sure. There are lots of things to, to say, to think and to talk about. Okay, cool. So I want to start right in the kind of younger years when, and I think I've got my research right here, is that at around 14 or so, you'd done your first IFSC competition and only three years later, you'd got a bronze at that same junior competition and you were competing in senior world champs and placed 10th in combined. So that's like lead, speed, and boulder. That seems to me like an incredibly fast progression. Like your first IFSC comp three years later, very, very high performance. How did that go so quick? Yeah, he actually wasn't that quick for me uh, at least in uh, in my feelings because uh, i started climbing in 2004 and then uh, my progress was uh, was constant with the uh, with no peaks uh, no uh, weird uh, improvements just uh, constant during the year and uh, yes i competed in my first workup in 2009 and in the very first workup i did i was like 58 or something i was I competed very bad. It was uh, my first experience. And then uh, actually I did my first semifinal the, the year after in 2010. And then my first final in 2011 and my first uh, podium in 2012. So every year I got better a bit too, and I reached the, the podium in, uh, in actually just uh, three years of uh, World Cup competing. But I was already climbing for... Uh, like seven, eight years. So it was, uh, the progress was, uh, was fast, but, but uh, constant uh, during the years. And what do you think was, gave you, or what were the elements that really meant for you that you progressed very fast? Were you, do you consider yourself a good all-rounder or were you training particularly hard or did you have a really amazing coach or great facilities? What was it that really made the difference for you? I think it was a combination of uh, all those things, uh, and uh, yeah, actually, I, I think uh, I I trained good. I I was a good trainer, 
uh, I I used to have a I, I have a good trainer and uh, I think uh, also the fact that uh, the climbing gyms improved during the year so when I started climbing there were just one climbing gym in my city and then uh, already four years later there were three or four gyms so the possibility to train uh, improved and uh, I got better too and uh, yeah, I, I had just more possibility. And then uh, it was very important, the fact in uh, 2012, I became a, a, actually a professional climber by joining the, the police team, the Fiamero team. Uh, in Italy, uh, there are a few uh, sportive groups that uh, uh, you can join if you have uh, good results and then uh, they let you compete uh, as, a, as a job. So I joined the Fiamero team in 2012 and actually from there, then I continue my improvement in climbing uh, because uh, I, I stopped uh, studying. Actually, I did the university and uh, stopped studying in 2016. But then uh, I was more focused on uh, climbing and uh, I didn't have to, to go to work because uh, this is actually right now is my work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good when you can have it as your full time work and you have the time and the opportunity with you know a wage and the, the the lifestyle that you can actually pursue it full time yeah sure i'm uh, i'm lucky because the in in the world and in italy we are not so many professional climbers but i'm one of the the lucky professional climber and uh, so i focus 100% on uh, on uh, on what is my job but also and basically it is my my main passion and uh, uh, my hundred percent focus uh, of every day. And what what does if you go back right to the early, maybe first one or two years of when you started climbing, what did that look like? Were you instantly climbing, you know, V seven, V eight, and French seven C? Like, tell me about the early couple of years. What did that look like? Actually, for a few years, I didn't have touch any any rock. I just started in a gym and continued climbing in the gym for uh, for a few years. I I tried to go rock climbing sometimes with uh, with my trainers, uh, but uh, just for fun. And then uh, actually, I I started climbing on real rock when. Uh, I was 16 and I started going out with my friends. Uh, and actually, the very first time I tried to send something with the, with the purpose of uh, trying to climb something hard uh, was in a crag in Aosta Valley that is uh, called Sarre. It's very overhanging. It was around 2008, 2009. So I was already climbing for uh, five, four years. And I was already competing in the European Youth Cup. So I was already well-trained. I was not professional at the time, but I was already trained uh, almost as a professional climber. And so on my very first time, try to send something. I did uh, my first 7A and my first 7B and my first 7C in the same day. And it was, <laughs> I remember it was uh, one of the, uh, the funniest thing uh, that everybody was shocked because uh, I, I was there at the Craig, I said, oh, I tried this one. And then I sent it immediately. And it was like this uh, the whole day. And was uh, I remember until today, it was amazing. And do you still remember your first 8A? Yes, it was uh, actually 
I think few days or few months later, uh, I did uh, on my second go, and uh, I actually could even uh, on site or flash it, uh, but uh, I was not very used to climb on rock. I, I I was climbing every day in the gym, so rock was very different for me at the time. And so once I I learned uh, all the all the moves, I just sent it. Uh, without uh, being tired or something. So, yeah, and was in uh, Aosta Valley too. And uh, yeah, the same thing with my first 8BS, um, first 8C, maybe w- was one year later, but uh, actually went pretty fast uh, up to 8C. Then uh, things got a bit harder, uh, trying a 9A or a 9A plus, uh, but it was another period and it was a bit later then. And what would you say you were like as a, as an athlete, first of all, were you a very strong climber or very good with endurance or very te- technical or what would you say were your, your, your early strengths as a climber? Uh, I think I was at the beginning, I was very strong uh, from the beginning. I didn't need to train. I remember the very first competition I did when I was uh, 11, 12, I was 11 or 12. It was uh, one month after I started climbing. It was uh, like a youth competition. Uh, and uh, I didn't even have time to buy climbing shoes. I, I competed with, uh, with my like, uh, sneaker shoes. And uh, so my technique was very bad. I did everything with my arms, with, uh, with my hands. And uh, my feet were continuing to, to sleep on the wall. So my technique... It was not the best. So my strength was actually the power on my arms that I had uh, naturally. I don't know why I was uh, I was strong. I was uh, I was a kid. I was uh, naturally strong, and then uh, uh, this was my strength for uh, a lot of years. And then actually it uh, transformed to probably endurance, and that is now my my best my best strength. My my point of strength is uh, endurance and. This is the difference that uh, I think makes me strong on certain routes, like uh, the 9B plus I did. Uh, maybe I'm not the best uh, climber with um, with the most the, the climber with the most power. I don't used to do a lot of bouldering, but uh, uh, I have uh, a lot of endurance, and this is my I think the strength that I have. And I noticed in your competition results, you didn't have as many competition results on the bouldering side of things compared to lead competitions. Is that something which you did a lot less of in those first five years of climbing, or was it just that you didn't compete so much on bouldering, but you were doing lots of it in the gym versus lead climbing? Uh, Yeah, exactly. Even right now I'm competing almost uh, only on lead climbing uh, but at the beginning, when I started climbing, I just did uh, all three disciplines, actually, even uh, speed climbing. And uh, I competed a lot in bouldering uh, in the first years. I tried many workups in bouldering, but then I figured out I was, uh, I was better in lead climbing. And actually, I was uh, having more fun. The two things, I think, are uh, very strictly related. Uh, if you're doing good, actually you always have more, more fun for sure. And then uh, I figured out my best thing was uh, endurance. And then I switched uh, uh, slowly to, to competing just in, uh, in lead climbing. Yeah, okay. And 
stuff like um so you, you, i know you went through the grades very quickly and but then you in a relatively short time you actually went on to climb 9a 9a plus and you know even 9b were the did you think that being a rounded climber like good at endurance power endurance boulder etc was important to you to achieve that or did you tend to play to your strengths and just be like i am stefano i am good at these things i will keep hammering this harder oh well not actually i my focus was on uh, try, go to try the the hardest routes and the most iconic routes in the world so i didn't play with my strength actually uh, one of my first uh, 9a plus was demencia uh, senil in spain and is uh, very short very powerful so uh, endurance uh, didn't play a very big part there and then uh, another one the next one was uh, biography in france that is a very long route so uh, you need a lot of endurance and yeah i just try to to search the the best routes in the world and try to repeat it and this was the goal, the main goal the, and yeah the best routes and the hardest too obviously mm. and what was what was uh, doing your first 9b lapsus like in terms of breaking into that grade because at the time 9b was also a big grade as well it was still you know headline stuff hardly anyone was climbing at 9b and it was obviously in Italy as well so it's like in your home country was that was that important for you was it a big grade for you to break yeah sure it was a it was a big thing for me and uh, it felt actually it was a first ascent so I proposed 9b and it was it, because it, it felt much harder than the other 9a plus that I sent and then actually this year it got downgraded uh, because some uh, repeaters like uh, Marcello Bombardi and uh, uh, I think Adam Mondra too uh, use a knee bar. Uh, so they rest uh, a bit uh, before the last cracks and this makes it uh, a bit easier than, uh, than it was. Uh, but then uh, actually for me at the time was uh, a, great, uh, a great achievement and uh, uh, like uh, I felt it was uh, like the next step for, uh, for me. Mm. And... I think that's probably a very common thing that when you're making first ascents, you never know the best way to climb something. And if someone comes along and they're a knee bar specialist, for example, they're going to see things that you don't necessarily see. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, actually Lapsus, the, the 9B, the, the, the former 9B that uh, I did, yeah, I did it in 2015 when uh, knee bars and knee pads were not that common. And, and now it's basically common. Every climber, uh, basically every climber has a, a knee pad in, uh, in their bags, almost every climber. And uh, right now, actually, I'm improving that te- technique too. And when I'm trying something, uh, one of the first things I do is uh, to find an, a knee bar, find a I try to find a neighbor because I know that uh, it can make the, the challenge uh, uh, even more complicated because uh, uh, it's a skill that you have to learn right now to, to climb some harder hard routes because uh, 
is something like uh, if you can pull super hard on creams, but if you can rest uh, one minute hanging, uh, like resting without touching the rock with your hands, it uh, would be much better for uh, for the route to be climbed. And how does how does that process look for you when you're, let's say you're going to go and try to, you know, do do the second ascent of a nine B that or nine B plus that got got done recently? Do you very early in your working goes put a knee bar pad on both knees and say, okay, I'm just going to try and find knee bar positions. I'm not going to climb anything. I'm kind of just going to look for knee bars. How does it look? Uh, no, actually. I I figure out this technique that is uh, first goes I will go without knee knee pads because uh, actually unless I'm trying to onside something and right now if you want to onside something you better start with double knee pad on your on your knees uh, but actually if I'm trying something uh, red to red point something I will go on the first go without uh, knee pads. And then actually I try the moves obviously on the of the whole route. And then uh, if I find something that could be a nibar or that uh, I can uh, maybe barely try uh, to nibar without the nipas on, on the next on the next go, I will uh, try to put maybe one or uh, two nipas uh, to try if they're, uh, they're actually the nibar are better with the nipas. And actually it's what happened in uh, my latest ascent. Uh, that I did a few days ago in uh, Sperlonga, uh, a cave uh, one hour and a half south of Rome. Uh, I tried this project, it was uh, unclimbed, and uh, I did the first go, and uh, in that cave, the knee pads are very useful because there are a lot of tufas and uh, a lot of uh, knee bars. But actually, this route was uh, uh, almost horizontal roof, so I wasn't sure if there were any, any knee bars uh, because it was quite blank actually but then I find one and I was quite surprised and uh, I was happy with myself when I find this uh, good nipper because it was not obvious and uh, it was a sign that I improve in uh, in this technique yeah and are you a I've got to ask this are you a kneebar plus glue plus tape and do you always have the kneebar next to the skin what's your What's your knee bar technique? Uh, actually, I'm. I try to go with shorts, pa- short pants, to have my knee bar on uh, on my skin. That uh, it, it is better for. Uh, it sticks better. It sticks just better than uh, on uh, long pants. But uh, in some cases, like in uh, change, when I did change in 2020, it was quite cold, so I climbed it with uh, long pants with a uh, knee pad and. I didn't have any problems. It was it wasn't that slippery. Like uh, I didn't need glue or tape. But I think in some cases you you might need to stick your knee pad to the to your uh, leg very well. But uh, it just didn't really happen to me right now. And but it, it could be it could happen in the future. I think. Yeah. And do do you look at? I mean, I do. So I want to. I'm interested to see whether you do. But do you look at? videos of other professional climbers and see the kind of the tricks and the methods that they're using and think oh I saw Dave Graham doing this I have to go and try this oh I saw Adam Ondra do this I should try this 
Oh yes, but <laughs> actually, yeah, it could it could happen. And uh, like uh, I saw the video, and actually I met uh, Dave Graham that uses spray to stick his sniper, uh, but I never tried it. He just uh, he just told me in uh, Seuss he was trying a route there, uh, and uh, I actually I I was amazed about uh, this technique that uh, actually he told me it was uh, a very old technique they use uh, in uh, in rifle in uh, yeah in rifle I think in uh, in a Craig in uh, USA like in the nineties so. Uh, we think uh, nipas and nibars are uh, something really new and modern, but actually it depends on the place. Uh, in the USA, they used uh, to do it uh, 30 years ago, and we just kind of uh, uh, tr trying right now, but uh, it's something uh, really old, and we just uh, copy them <laughs> with, this, uh, with this technique. And you've got, as a... Uh... A professional athlete you've got a really good track record of going and re repeating a lot of the very hardest routes in the world you know stuff like change bibliography perfecto mundo etc is that is that process for you of repeating other people's routes does it serve as a an inspiration or is it to understand where you are compared to the cutting edge or to get your grade grade barometer correct what's how important is this for you yeah actually i don't choose a route for uh, for this reason and i just think about the route like for example change it was uh, the first 9b plus of the world so i uh, it was an amazing route uh, that uh, I watched the video of Adam and I say, okay, I have time to go to Norway and I, I would like to try maybe silence, but maybe this is too hard for just a single trip. So I decided to go and try something a little easier. And then, uh, yeah, I just wanted to repeat uh, one of the best routes and one of the hardest routes in the world. And then when I, when I tried it, when I repeated it, I... I understand what a 9B plus is and what, or in other cases, what a 9B is. So then when I do a first ascent, uh, I can set uh, uh, the grade barometer to uh, compare to this, uh, these routes that, uh, that I already climbed. Mm. And, you know, with like, for example, bibliography, it was originally proposed at 9C and then you came and repeated it and then proposed for you that you felt 9B plus. And there were some really nice posts that were written on social media um, with, you know, they were really respectful and you explained your choices on grade. And obviously Alex had his opinion on his grade. Do you think that for you, social media is a really good place to show that professional climbers can have a nice conversation about grade and it's not like a fight or a war over grades and it's not an ego thing actually it's just you find a blend a mix of where things are yeah for sure social media is a is a way to show something to other people is basically what social media is and it depends a lot on uh, how you use it. It's uh, you that decide how to use it. You can use social media to 
pump your ego and say you climb uh, the hardest route in the world or you just uh, you can say to to say the truth or to show honesty that it's what i try to do with the bibliography i just uh, climb it and uh, talk to alex to before uh, say anything i wanted to talk to alex and just i thought he was uh, something uh, easier than what he proposed but just because I found a new beta and uh, actually also because uh, it was easier for me to to find to to test the beta because I already had uh, everything uh, uh, explained by Alex in his video the beta was already there and then I had just had to find a beta that uh, fit better to me and then I thought okay maybe this is uh, a bit easier than uh, the 9c pro probably because actually I don't know what uh, 9c is uh, and it felt similar compared to Perfecto Mundo and, and Change. So I just uh, talked to Alex with the honesty and, uh, and proposed what I, what I felt. And yes, social media can be a good way to, to communicate uh, these uh, good values that are uh, uh, always shown on, uh, on, like I think professional climbers are, are very good because uh, I think all of the professional climbers are quite honest. And, uh, and there are maybe a few cases that where there are some uh, uh, weird cases with, um, I don't know, weird, weird things, but I think most of the professional climbers are, are honest. And uh, I see more, um, more problems with uh, maybe local climbers at the crag or uh, uh, outside social media or uh, even in social media, but... Uh, outside the professional climbers world maybe in uh, lower grades i think uh, things are uh, are worse actually and so we i decided to show this uh, honesty and uh, and talk uh, very fairly also to to show that climbing is uh, can be good and uh, we can uh, just talk like normal people uh, even if you talk about uh, the hardest routes in the world or downgrading uh, the hardest route in the world that could be something that uh, could be heartbreaking for someone but then uh, it's just it's just climbing it's uh, uh, i'm a very good friend with uh, alex very good friend with uh, a lot of uh, professional climbers and uh, actually we are just talking about climbing there are a lot of more important things yeah i, I think that's a, a common thing amongst yeah plenty of people in the professional climbing community that they do as much that everyone is serious about being their best and performing. They also tend to go, this is climbing. It's not everything in the whole world and everything doesn't depend on this. So they can see some perspective on, on things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Training. I've got to ask you about this because this is, uh, yeah, a, a really interesting area because I know from earlier on when we were chatting about how you're saying you were a you immediately felt very strong when you came to climbing and it was maybe a natural natural talent or gift or a genetics that you have but I'm really interested to understand how you now structure or formulate your training where you're getting to your personal genetic potential because many people listening will go Stefano's like one of the best climbers in the world this isn't relevant to me he was climbing 
8A after a very short number of years, 9A after not many years. But what is relevant is that you still have to work out your personal potential and you have to work very hard for 9B plus and 9B and 9A plus. So my first question is, how do you how do you structure your year for strength versus endurance versus power endurance? How do you manage that? Yes, actually, I have a trainer that uh, we collaborate together, actually. Uh, it, we talk and we plan the whole year uh, based on uh, first on the competition. So the main goal usually is uh, the competition, the World Cups and the World Championship that uh, usually take place in, from July to November, October, November. So the first part of the year is uh, the hardest one in, uh, uh, in training and then is uh, mostly focused on power. But, uh, I, and then I switch uh, slowly to power endurance and endurance at the end of the year. Uh, also, in uh, some uh, some years, there are uh, uh, I did some uh, bouldering competition, and use, usually the the bouldering competition is are on the first part of the year, like from April, May, and June. Uh, so, doing first uh, a period of uh, pure power is uh, is important to to get fit in the, in the bouldering competition at the beginning of the year. And then switching uh, slowly to power endurance, so adding up power endurance training and a uh, few uh, endurance training in, uh, like in April, May, and June before the lead competition season starts, uh, and then so I can be well prepared for the for the lead competition. But uh, uh, for me, it's important never stop to train power. So I always do at least one uh, one uh, power session uh, a week uh, because uh, you always, we will always need power even in a super long route there there will be uh, a lot of uh, moves that require uh, pure power and max power uh, and but then uh, actually from uh, specific training like or uh, a specific exercise like a campus board or a hangboard that I used to do yeah in the first part of the year. Then from the from July when the lead competition uh, season starts, uh, my training switch uh, a bit more on uh, on climbing. And uh, during the competition season, my training is a hundred percent climbing. Yeah. And do you when you uh, do a period of let's say power endurance training? Do you just exclusively do power endurance or are you also doing other complementary or other forms of training at the same time? So if, if, for example, you're doing three power endurance sessions a week, are you also doing two or three bouldering sessions in that week? Do you combine when you're doing that? Uh, yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's always combined, ex- combined, except from the probably from the first part of the year where uh, I start with power and power can be done like alone. And then power endurance and then endurance are always combined together. I never do just endurance uh, in, a, in a week or in a month. So it's always uh, combined. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, actually, the focus switches on endurance for the lead competition, but there is always a power endurance and a and a, a power training during the during the week. Yeah. And how do you how do you fit in your what I would call classical strength and conditioning work? So stuff that might be on for weights, TRX, rings bar things which aren't climbing movements where do you tend to fit those in the year is there some things which you do all the way through the year because for you they're just three three exercises which are just very good for your shoulders for example but other bits you do more concentrated periods or is it how, how does that look for you uh, is this, uh, this kind of training uh, is concentrated at the beginning of the year, so the first uh, two or three months. Uh, and then I'm switching slowly to, to just climb uh, during the competition season. And then uh, also just after the competition season, usually I go rock climbing. Like last year I went in Seuss and uh, the year before I went in, uh, in Norway. So it's a... Uh, is switching to 100% climbing and and projecting. So I I don't do this uh, uh, power conditioning strength in the in this period of the year. So it's uh, everything uh, concentric um, in uh, in the first three months of the year. Yeah. And what for you is your preferred or most effective? way to build finger strength do you prefer a fingerboard or a campus board or system board or a combination what what works well for you uh, i do a bit of everything uh, not a lot actually i do a bit of campus board uh, hangboard very little I, I i think it's boring and the first thing uh, you you have to do with uh, when you're training if you're having fun i think the training is uh, like 10 times more effective. So if I'm not having fun during my handboard session, I think it's not very effective. So I prefer to, to try to find something that is also fun so I can train uh, I can train more and better. So uh, climbing for sure is the, the, fun, the, the thing that uh, I have most fun. So I try to climb as much as possible. And uh, for sure I do some handboarding and campus boarding. And then uh, I used to do a lot of uh, system board that uh, uh, I used to climb on one that my trainer designed. It's just called system wall. It is as a symmetrical holes. So you can do both exercises uh, on the left side and on the right side. And then, uh, yeah, I try to do a bit of everything and, and this worked for me. And I think climbing is uh, the thing I, I like most and I do most. I think that's a really sensible thing. I, I do like that comment you said about how if you find the thing that you enjoy, then it's going to be the thing of the greatest value. And it's so hard to do, even if a form of training is really beneficial, if you don't really like it, it's so hard to be consistent and do it for two, three, four, five months. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not saying that, uh, we don't have to work on something that we don't like because uh, there are something, some things that I don't like, like uh, stretching or uh, flexibility training. But I do anyway because I know they are they are useful. There are not a lot of alternatives. 
But uh, if there is some uh, things that can be changed to something that uh, you have more fun, if you maybe the same thing you can do on a hangboard, you can do on a, on a climbing wall, then just do the, the things that uh, you have more fun on it because uh, I think it's just more effective because you're, uh, you're spending maybe uh, more time, maybe two hours of training feels like uh, 10 minutes if you're having fun. And so you have more time to train and you're uh, enjoying it more and you're doing with, uh, you can do it more often and after one year, two years, you can uh, still do what you like. And what do you do each year or season to identify your strengths or weaknesses or what you want to work on for six months or 12 months? Is it, is it just a discussion with your trainer or is it looking at a diary that you keep through the year or is it tests that you do for yourself? How, how do you do that? Uh, it's uh, just a talk uh, with my trainer. I don't. I used to have a diary, but then uh, I just abandoned it. I don't have it anymore. Uh, it's important right now to to watch the the videos uh, of my of my climbing. From there, from the videos, you can uh, recognize a lot of uh, mistakes. Uh, this, uh, especially in the, in the bouldering scene, where the moves are uh, very different. Uh, there are jumps. There are uh, technical slabs. There are uh, uh, dynamic moves uh, and watching videos is uh, is important watching videos of me doing some mistakes is important to uh, correct them and uh, doing better next time and then uh, yeah actually basically it's uh, it's uh, a talk with my trainer and uh, he can see me climbing he he watches the competition when he cannot come and uh, uh, say okay here uh, you were uh, too fast or here you rest a lot and you didn't need to rest that much and then we switch something uh, that we see in the videos uh, into the training so we try to transform the training in the, uh, like uh, trying to avoid the mistake uh, the second time and how long do you think it takes you to make something that you identify as being a weakness or an item that you want to work on how long do you think it takes for you to properly change that and make an effect so for example if you identify that a big open wide iron cross move in in your your project is really hard for your back does it take you three months six months two years well it depends on the thing but i think uh, at least two months it will take for sure this is, I think, is the minimum uh, amount of time to to get better on something. Maybe you can see some improvements even uh, in the shorter time, but then in in two months you can see uh, actual improvement. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people don't often appreciate how long things take. It's it's not short. Yeah, but it, this is the shortest time. It could take even years. Or uh, I'm I'm very bad in like. Uh, dynamic moves or coordination moves and i'm improving during the year so it's a long process that is taking me years to improve while maybe other people just can improve in that thing in one month so it depends also on your specific characteristic or or your strengths or your weaknesses and i'm going to slightly go sideways on a question here um but it's one that um i think 
maybe has some relevance to uh, weaknesses or something which sometimes you have to work on is to ask you about the fact that I know that sometimes you will struggle with uh, falling on sport climbing, uh, either on a certain route or parts of the year. And I know for myself, this also can be a problem for me, but it'd be really cool to hear what this is like for you, whether it's particular situations or particular style of route or angle or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, people usually think that uh, professional climbing just doesn't feel just don't don't feel uh, uh, fear while climbing. But actually, I think fear is just a normal feeling because uh, we are climbing and we are a lot of meters above uh, the ground. So fear is just an instinct, and uh, a lot of time I find myself uh, having fear because I'm very far from the bolt. And uh, I don't want to be in that situation. And uh, I feel that uh, I'm afraid too. And one thing uh, I, I, I used to do and uh, I still do is uh, trying to focus on uh, what, uh, what I'm doing. So if I'm uh, like climbing for uh, having fun and try to chill and then uh, the bolt is very far, then maybe I can, uh, I can feel more the, the fear. But if I try to focus to have a goal, so I want to send a route or even a intermediate goal, so I want to go to the next retro, uh, trying to have a focus on uh, what I'm doing helps me to avoid this fear that uh, is still inside me, but then uh, it's just not in my focus. So I can uh, go to the next bolt, even if it's uh, very far. But if I'm focused on what I'm doing, so on the next hold, on the way I grab it on, uh, on on the climbing i i try to i avoid this fear and then it was ba what basically i do when i climb in some really hard route i even skip balls but this doesn't mean i'm not afraid of falling i'm i'm afraid of falling but not in that moment because in that moment my focus in is uh, on uh, sending the route so this is an advice that i use to um, I usually say to people that uh, ask me how to to manage the fear of falling is uh, for me is uh, focusing on climbing and trying to set a goal. This that could be just an intermediate goal. So I want to climb this section of the route from the third bolt to the sixth bolt. Maybe the bolts are very far, but if I want to climb this section and my goal is this. Uh, my focus will be on climbing and uh, somehow I, I forget about the fear of falling. And do you ever have it where you've tried this tactic and you get, you get above the bolt and you can see the next one that's coming up and it doesn't matter how much you try and tell yourself that you want to focus, all you're thinking is, this is terrifying I don't want to carry on or is your process so well refined that that just doesn't happen and you just stay focused? Uh, well, right now my process is, uh, it's quite well refined. So it doesn't happen now because uh, I tried many times, but the first times uh, it happened that uh, while mid route, while climbing, uh, I stop and say, okay, now is I'm, I'm afraid this is very far. And then uh, it happened that I went back climbing to stop. And then I tried to set again the focus, rest a bit and try it again. 
it, it doesn't have to be on the first try. You can try more time and uh, you can fail more time. And then uh, it doesn't mean that you are... Uh, uh, you are not a bad, uh, good climber. You are just uh, a normal, a normal person that uh, uh, fear. You just have to to focus and and try to set uh, your mind to to what to what do you want? What do you want to do? If you want to climb this route, if you really like climbing, uh, I think uh, you just have to to focus on these goals and and try more times. If it's not the first time, it will be the second. If it's not the second, it will be the third. You can. You have the, a lot of time uh, to try a route, so uh, basically it's not like a competition that you have just one try and then it's over. You can try a route for uh, whenever you want. So uh, when you feel uh, ready, you go and then uh, uh, the fear will just be on, uh, will be secondary for me. I always think this thing is interesting because that um, tactic of focus is... I think somewhat proven in the sense that if you talk to competition climbers about how scared they are when they're in a competition and they're trying to on-site or flash a route, they're so focused on getting as high as they can and performing to the best that they're very, very rarely scared because they're so focused on performance and if you put them put the same scenario into a training session, the same wall, the same route, they could actually be scared because they're less focused. And I think it's a really good proof that focus is a very effective tactic for this. Yeah, yeah. It happened to me too. In competition, I did some things that uh, I would never do in uh, training. Like uh, I was very pumped. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but I remember sometimes it happened that I was very pumped and I couldn't clip the, the quick throw. So I went up trying to to get more holes uh, uh, as many holes uh, as possible to get higher and higher and then i skipped this quick throw that in a training uh, environment i would never do because uh, it could even be dangerous but in competition was you are 100 percent focused on uh, on trying to win the competition that you forget about uh, uh, about even about safety and that's why this competition rules are very strict. You have to clip every quick throw because otherwise uh, I think there could be people that just don't clip anything and go to the, try to go to the top to win the competition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've kind of taken up uh, uh, quite a bit of your evening already. And, uh, and I thank you for joining me for a chat about uh, all things climbing and training and performance. But I did want to ask you at the end about where where you feel like the future for this year and for next year lies for you where what are you interested in what do you want to achieve over the next couple of years where's your focus what are you working on uh, yeah actually i'm trying to to working on to work on something that i didn't achieve in the in the last olympics so the the qualification of the olympics will be one of the main focus for the next years and uh, another thing I want to, to try is uh, to try something even harder on, uh, on rock climbing. And uh, there is not much choice. The, there, there's only one uh, proposed 9C. So I, will, uh, I, I think I will go to Norway to try silence. And this is uh, the second main goal of, uh, of this year's. Ah, cool. 
are you sh- are you sure you don't want to come to the UK to learn some crack climbing for uh, the the, si- the silence crux? Yeah, actually, I want I was in Sperlonga right now to train the the knee bars, and then uh, I should have come to UK to try and cracks, and then I will be ready for silence. Yeah, because you, you did you see that there was a, a video where Pete went and uh, tried to do some jamming on the crux. Yeah, actually, I I wasn't there when he did the video, but I arrived a few days later because I was there in that time. So yeah, I know that he was trying to crack the silence. I saw the video. Yeah, I don't think it quite worked out right, but uh, it was interesting anyway. Yeah, it was super interesting. But maybe I can learn something from you and Pete. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can use your feet or a thumb rather than your fingers for something, it's like another another part of your body, which means that you can take more load. So it's like knee pads. There's... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a skill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thanks so much for joining me it's been really cool hearing about your journey and um all the climbing that you've done over the years and the contribution that you've made to uh climbing history and the climbing community and everything and i'm sure uh many people listening will already follow you and, and know where you are but if they do want to find any of your social channels and i have a feeling you have a pretty um active youtube account as well where, where can they find you uh, yeah, just uh, you can search my name, Stefano Gisolfi, on YouTube. And uh, I'm trying to uh, to do uh, as much of videos as I can. And actually, I have a web series that is called The Climbing Diaries. It is uh, out uh, every other Thursday. And uh, when I think uh, there are some interesting things to, uh, to show. And uh, in the next episode, there will be a lot of uh, interesting too. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations on the the, the new uh, First Ascent as well. That was really cool. Uh, thank you very much. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again soon. And uh, I must get a trip over to Italy to come to that cave because I've got to go and find some jams sometime. Yeah, I think you can have fun on some jams in this cave. Yeah, well, uh, thanks very much, Stefano. And uh, we will chat again very soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. See you soon. <laughs>